If you're a guest, we've been working our way through the book of Colossians, and we've titled the series Above All, and it's we want Christ to be centered in our lives and as a church and as individuals, we want our identity to be built on him. But I want to begin this morning with a little quiz. Number one, to whom did Jesus direct his strongest warnings, to the prostitutes or the Pharisees? Number two, to whom did Jesus direct his most heated rebukes? To the prostitutes or the Pharisees? Number three, to whom did Jesus perceive as the farthest from the kingdom of God? Prostitutes or Pharisees? And the last one, to whom do you think was most open to the gospel? Prostitutes or the Pharisees? Now here's the challenge because the answer to that, that quiz is all of them would have been the Pharisees were the farthest from the kingdom. But I also recognize, you know, Jesus, as he looked at even the prostitutes and sexual immorality, he wouldn't have let them off the hook. He would have called for their repentance. But when you think of that, why were they the farthest from the kingdom or the Pharisees the farthest from the kingdom? I think it's this. Um, They knew too much. And maybe to reverse it, why were the prostitutes closer to the kingdom of God? They knew they were broken. Do you catch a challenge for us today? As we go through a text, this is going to apply to us. But the Pharisees, they knew all the right answers. They knew so much doctrine. They were meticulous in terms of the trivial religious laws and the regulations. And they looked in a mirror and they said, you know, we're pretty good. Far more, far better, far more spiritual than the prostitutes and the drunkards and those spiritually common people. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter 2 here this morning. I want to read a couple of verses really for context, and we've actually already gone over these these first three verses, but I want to begin it because I think it sets the stage for where we want to go this morning. Verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Then just a summary. He's telling this church, you were spiritually dead at one point. You were once alienated from Christ, but Jesus came along and he canceled the debt because of your sins and because you turned and believed on him and the resurrection and the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Now you have a new life in Christ. You are in Christ, that phrase. You are in Christ. Now verse 16. Therefore, because you are in Christ, you have a new life in Christ, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink 
or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels going on in detail about visions and puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and its ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as, as if you st- are still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? Referring to the things that all perish as they are used according to the precepts and the teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism in the severity of the body. They are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Today, this passage... Paul is protecting a group of people from spiritual bondage. See, they they were already free spiritually. But people were coming into the church and telling them that Jesus and the cross wasn't enough. They needed just a little bit more. They were being told, there must be some things you must do to make sure that you're approved by God. See, there's a word that we, here's where we have to go after today because of this text. I'll put it on the screen. It's this word legalism. Legalism. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with this word, but I want to give a couple of three different definitions of it, just parts of it. The first one, really, this first part is this. It's keeping rules for rule's sake. Now, in this, this type of person becomes preoccupied with obeying the rules and the regulations. And this person believes that Christianity is fundamentally about what that which you do. And spiritual maturity is about how well you obey those rules and those regulations, those principles. And the bottom line is it becomes an end in itself. And when you dig, they they isolate the laws, the rules, from God himself, who gave the rules. So a a type of obedience, it was a type of obedience that was devoid of a personal relationship with the triune God. Now, here's where we got to be careful in this, through the whole sermon here today. There are moral laws. I, I do recognize that. So we don't wipe them away. No. But there's a second kind of legalism as well that you find in the scriptures. And the the second one is this. It's focusing on the letter of the law rather than the spirit of the law. See, this one, again, disconnects the law with the spirit. What was the bigger intention? That What was God's heart on the issue? For example, in Matthew 19... Uh, G, the Pharisees confronted Jesus on the issue of the Sabbath. See, on, uh, how they viewed the Sabbath is this. You can never do anything that would perceive yourself to be doing work. So the letter of the law says, don't do anything that might be perceived as work. And what did Jesus do? He comes along and he heals people on the Sabbath. Jesus, you're doing work. You're doing work. 
they missed the wider intent of God's purpose for the Sabbath. To heal the sick was work for them. And they missed God's heart. Really, they were, it's devoid of love, I think is, is the way we would put it. But there's a third kind of legalism that we have as well. And it's this in your notes. It adds non-biblical rules to God's word. And it treats them as divine and extra spiritual. And this is the one that really functionally applies toward the text today. And it's probably the most common and I, I think maybe the most deadly of all of the three. But it goes like this. People create rules and expectations that are not found in the Bible. And sometimes, I will say, it's under the guise even of spiritual wisdom. But they make this tight rule that one must obey. And when you line it up for scripture, it's either out of context or it's, it's not even there. But even farther, this group of people feel good about themselves. And they feel good about their relationship with God for having obeyed these extra rules. And at the same time, at the same time, they look at other people and they judge them for failing to live according to these artificial, made-up rules. And what they've done then is connect this, these non-biblical issues with spiritual maturity, with godliness. And I don't know if you realize this, Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for doing this. I don't have it on the screen, but just listen to Mark 7. You teach human traditions as if they were the word of God. You teach human traditions as if they were equal with the word of God. Now, many people including well-intentioned Christians, believe, uh, though, that the essence of Christianity is about following the right rules of which many then cannot be supported. But I want to put up a verse, verse 19 here on the screen. Because it gives that, it, it tells us of something that's missing. Look at how it reads. And not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and its ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. So the false teachers, they come into the church, and they claim that you could have a higher state, a higher form of spirituality, independent, functionally, of Christ. So Paul's saying in verse 19, I'm going, no. Spiritual growth is about Jesus period. Who is the head? That word head there. That's Christ. That's Christ. See, it's not Christ alone or, or that which comes from God. There's a, there's a pathway to spiritual maturity. Christ plus this other stuff. But the essence is that you could obtain an elite spiritual life and in order to do this, you have to be work hard, have a rigorous, moralistic approach to life. And Paul comes along and says, no, don't believe him. And he begins to push back 
Look at verse 16. Let me put that on the screen here. It gives us a hint of what they were saying in terms of what they were telling them what not to do. Look at, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in the questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. They're saying, you want to be elite Christian? Total abstinence from strong drink. Now, probably wine here at this may have been referring to. That's what most people guess. And then the absence of certain kinds of food. You can't eat meat or meat offered to idols or it could have been something else. And then you must be meticulous. And you know those days, you got to keep them. You got to make sure that you follow all the rules on those days as well. They're holy, you know. Now, I I think here's the, the challenge for us. 2019, I think it's more subtle for us today. It can be in certain areas. You know, I, I, with my age, I've been around the block a few times. Um, matter of fact, over this, this last weekend when I was gone, I just realized how old I was. Um, Deanna and I, were, we stayed at a hotel on Sunday night. So Monday morning, we were taking the, the shuttle to the airport. Okay, so this is pretty early. And there's eight, nine, ten people getting on, ready to get on the shuttle. And the lady that was driving it came around the shuttle and she goes, okay, let all the older people go first. I'm looking around. There was none. (laughs) Oh, it's us. So we got to go on the shuttle. So I have been around the block a few times. And I think that applies even. I've seen subtle legalism and how it can creep into people's lives and the church. Okay, growing up for me, I understand my environment where I grew up in was pretty legalistic. And people insinuated that, that if you played cards, your faith was suspect. So we used rook cards, same thing. But even some today, your faith is suspect if someone has wine with dinner. And growing up, dancing was the devil. If the music made your foot a tapping, you better watch out. You better watch it. You better be careful. You might be tempted. But see, I, I think there's new areas as well that pops up as well all the time. Matter of fact, a number of years ago, at the former church, I had to actually address one of the issues. And, and there was a mom at this church who um, she was actively communicating to other moms about homeschooling, saying this, if you don't homeschool your kids, obviously you're lacking in your spirituality. Now, understand, I'm not denouncing homeschooling. We have a changing culture, and I understand the, the reasons why. But to say that a family's more spiritual because you do this or do this, folks, that's legalism. But understand, it even goes wider. And over the last 20 years, it's even gone wider. For right now, okay, what wasn't an issue for us growing up? Halloween. Really spiritual families don't do Halloween. You know what? Really spiritual families don't do Santa Claus. And for sure, you don't do Easter egg hunts. 
you understand the temptation that's there for us? It's to put expectations on people. What is spiritual? What is maturity? And we, you can just fill in the blank and all kinds of things these days. Now, here's where I don't want to discard spiritual wisdom either because there's a part of it in that and how we approach it. But it's easy to fall into a ditch and elevate certain behaviors as a basis. If you don't do this, then you're more spiritually mature. You know, I'll never forget when I was growing up. This, so this would have been a long time ago. Um, when I was, it's probably fifth, sixth grade, seventh grade, right in there. My mom and dad were um, late coming out of church. And at our church down in Cocado, all the parking was on the street. It was in town, in, in, in Cocado, downtown Cocado. And so everybody parked. And we had a special speaker there that day. And um, so I'm out playing by the car, waiting for mom and dad. And they're inside, and it was kind of down, about halfway down the block. There was hardly any cars. Almost everybody was gone. But the speaker, the special speaker who had, I don't know if he was a preacher, whatever he was, missionary, I don't know. But he came out. He was alone. I remember he was alone. He didn't have his wife with him. And he comes out, and he gets in the car, and he stops. And this, is the, this would have been the sidewalk where I was at. And he pulls out a cigarette and lights it up. And I went, did the devil just speak in the pulpit that day? Do you understand the tension there? Legalism makes non-biblical matters the external test of authentic Christianity. And Paul is saying, no, it's a violation of the gospel See, those rules which come from human tradition, they replace the fruit of the Spirit. Folks, making non-biblical rules and principles as a measuring stick enslaves people. That's why Paul is going after it here. See, where God has given liberty, we never should enslave people with these extra-biblical rules. Now, again, we got to be careful here. But I think at times we need to be more forceful in pushing back against legalism. But look at verse 18. Look what it states there. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. See, legalism also includes the areas of asceticism. What does that mean? It's this. It's over-the-top self-denial. The disciplines. You must abstain. See, the teachers of this movement, they had created this list of stuff that you must not do. I don't have it on the screen, but just listen to verse 21. Do not handle. Do not taste. Do not touch. Deny the self. See, they were teaching, you will be proved faithful by abiding by these extra-biblical things, these practices. You're going to be spiritual if you worship angels, if you receive spiritual visions. You're going to be special if you get this, quote, special knowledge. 
You know, those ordinary believers, they don't get it. They don't get it. They're just average Christians. But you notice Paul's response to this legalism. For your notes, I actually have a couple, three here. The first one, let no one pass judgment on you. That is a very strong phrase in verse 16. And then the second one, let no one disqualify you. Do you feel the intensity of that in verse 18? Now that word disqualify is an athletic term. And it means to act as an umpire against you. To declare you, to disqualify you. Uh, it's Functionally, it's like an umpire in baseball. You know, the manager comes out arguing, you're out of the game. So what Paul is saying, don't let them throw you out of the game, derail you. God never imposed that. Now, again, I, I, here's where I, I do want to be careful again to qualify it. Do we ignore sin? No. No. Are we okay to do what we want? No. Not at all. Matter of fact, just listen. I want to quote from chapter 3. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. See, we got to understand this. To call sin a sin first, first, that is not judging nor is it legalism. It's actually loving if we do it in the right way and with the right motive. So we deal with sin. But this type of legalism is about extra-biblical ideas that you cannot find in the Scriptures. So Paul is saying, don't let people judge us as inferior. Do not let them disqualify us. From attaining what? The ultimate prize. What's the ultimate prize? I think it's this. Fellowship and full acceptance by God. You're a child of God. That song that we sung, fully, we're free. Then he connects it to special days. And you're more holy if you have these special days. And Paul's going, no. Matter of fact, he may have hinted that this might have been connected to the Old Testament in some of the Jewish days. And you notice that he said, they're pointing those special days. We're always pointing toward Christ, and he's fulfilled them. And now you don't have to worry about them anymore. They're done. See, if we have Jesus, if we have him, we don't need these extra rules, put rules for a certain day, or emphasize even certain traditions. You've got to be very careful even with traditions. See, it reminds us why though he came, why, why these people were doing it as well. I don't know if you caught the motive. They were puffed up without reason by the sensuous mind. See, these extra stuff that they were trying to put in was a product of the flesh ungodly thinking. Well, let me put up verse 20. Because there's another issue here. I need to fill in that line. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? 
Here's how I pointed it on that third item there. Don't let them enslave you. I think that's what Paul is saying here. Resist the efforts to enslave you. Fight against the temptation to submit to these demands and decrees. They're no value for eternity. It's not going to be, when you get to the gates of heaven, it won't matter. They will be burned up. They are not right. It's not righteousness. It's man-made righteousness. But here's where I even got to go a little farther. I want to put up a statement on the screen, and it's this. Legalism is attractive. I don't know if we realize that. It really is attractive for certain people, many people. Here's the first reason why I think it's attractive. Number one, it gives security. Now, sometimes I think it goes back to the very homes that we were raised in. When we, when there's a, there's a, rules and structures create security. And when we know what's right and wrong, it, it leaves us feeling good. And it's easier. But I think sometimes that has to do as well with our personalities. There are some people that tend to be more black and white, more concrete in their thinking. Matter of fact, my daughter's personality is really black and white and concrete. And I would, you know, she'd, well, she'd actually ask me, she'd come to me and say, Dad, what time do I need to be home? You know, Friday night, Saturday night. She'd ask. She'd want to know. I, I never would ask my mom and dad what time to be home. You'd try to get as much out there as you could. But she would ask. And sometimes I'd kind of, you know, whenever. And it would frustrate her. She wanted to know. See, there's security in that structure of rules. And understand this. Some people don't like the idea that there's gray. And there is gray in Scripture. Where Paul is going, for this, if your motive, this might be sinning. And this, no, it's not sin. Same activity. You understand the challenge with that. People want security. But there's a second reason as well. I think it appeals to pride when we accomplish something. We're people who want to feel good about what we do. And so if I follow the rules, I feel good about myself. I can kind of puff my chest up and go, oh, yeah, I did it. I, I, I followed all of them. But it's an easy step then to believe that, you know what, I'm growing and I'm moving spiritually because I'm following the rules. Matter of fact, we praise kids before being rule followers all along, assuming that they're becoming more mature because they follow the rules. Parents, that's not necessarily the case all the time. They just might be a rule follower. And I think the challenge is this. We become more consumed with the rules than the fruit of the Holy Spirit. But it puffs us up. And you know what? My own self-discipline makes me feel worthy of God. I feel good about myself. And you go, no. Let me give you a third reason, though, as well. It helps us maintain control of other people. And one of the areas in their parenting. Parents, sometimes we create extra-biblical things 
that becomes a type of legalism for our kids. Now, I want to say this as well. I realize every rule that we set for our kids is not legalistic, okay? I set the curfew. Dan and I set the curfew for our kids. That's not legalism, you know, and they could come back and say, well, Dad, where does it say that I have to be in at 10 o'clock on, on Friday night? And I say, kids, there's a rule, obey your parents, okay? So you got to listen to that one as well. And that isn't legalism either. But parents, we can be teaching it in a subtle way. And when I was growing up, what, what, what happened in our home, alcohol was a sin, and they tried to convince us that the wine in the Bible had no alcohol in it. It was grape juice. That's what we were told. I go, please. All the examples in there. What was it? Why? See, see, functionally, it was about control and trying to, yeah, keep us from something that wasn't all that great. And understand this, my mom had a fear and concerning the effects of alcohol. Her dad was an alcoholic. So I can understand why she was wanting to do that. But rather than teaching through the gray areas, it makes it easier to control people. So we put it into a sin category, which may or may not be biblical. It's just easier to, to, to make a tight rule. But listen, even churches can do this. Even churches can create extra rules that at times they might appear as God's absolute. I think one of the things, uh, on a regular basis, somebody comes by and drops literature and says, King James only. I think that's a rule that people try to put in place to control people at times. And first of all, the Tyndale came before King James. Why don't they use that one? See, even for us, setting up a list of what we should read or shouldn't read and what authors. You can see there's a challenge in there. Because would I like to do that deep down? Yeah, I would. It'd be easier. Easier, actually, than teaching them spiritual discernment and good doctrine and good theology. Because there are times people mention books and authors, and on the inside I'm going, do you really know what their theology is? It's bad. Except if we put a list out there, it begins to border on legalism. See, legalism will always put a cloud over grace and love. Grace and love become secondary. But there's one more reason why it's attractive. Number four, we believe it fulfills the command to be people in the world and not of the world. People believe that it fills this command, fulfills the command to be distinct. And are we called to be distinct? We're supposed to be a light. We're supposed to be different. The answer is yes. But I think it's a simple way for it to, to try to work that out. But I, I don't think we realize it just doesn't work as well as we think. People tend to view us as hypocrites at times. And you know what? For the most part, too often it's true. 
See, legalism draws us toward believing that what we're not doing, what we're not doing, that's being a great witness for Jesus. And no, it's much more than that. Now again, I want to be careful here again. There is such a thing as poor spiritual wisdom. Uh, I want to point that out. People can be spiritually stupid as well. And there's plenty of scriptures that tell us to not do some certain things. As a matter of fact, I want to go back what I read to what I read and and put this on the screen from Colossians 3.8. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to be getting here. But catch the context. The context is don't succumb to legalism. And then look how he writes it in verse 8. But now you must also rid yourselves of such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with his practices. See, those are actions that Paul defines as hardcore sin. He's saying, stop it. Get rid of it. Don't, but don't allow legalism to creep in. See, as followers, though, as Christ, well, how do you do that? Well, one of the things, I think it's going to continue on. Again, we'll come back to it. Look at verse 12. There's this interesting pathway then. What's the alternative? Look at this. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, look at this word, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, Put on love, which binds them all together in perfect harmony. You know, I I look at that passage and then I begin to look at people's Facebook pages and what they're actually posting online. And and these qualities are just getting thrown under the bus as people write stuff online. But here's, when we get trapped in legalism, understand this. Those qualities are hard to put on. We kind of ignore them. Those kind of go out the window. And then the last one, binds, look what binds these qualities all together. It's this idea of love. You know, I I found that people stuck in legalism actually struggle with the words love and grace. Because you start talking too much about love. Can, don't forget about truth. And sometimes it's a hint of going, you don't understand love, do you? See, see, oftentimes they end up redefining what love is just so they can tolerate their own legalism. Now, what do we do to apply it to us? What do we do if we look at some of this stuff and we kind of go, oh, I just wonder on some of my beliefs. And what do we do if, if the Spirit's nudging us in an area? And, and maybe we haven't been clothing ourselves first with that. But let me just give you some action steps to end this with in your notes here. The first one, I think sometimes we need us to repent when we self-identify areas of beliefs that are rooted in legalism. 
And we need to say, God, would you reveal those things in my life, the wrong beliefs, but what is righteousness? See, I, I think humility is the name of the game. And, and maybe you're a person here who doesn't like gray. And for that, it, it's stopping and saying, okay, God, give me the ability to be gracious and have some gray. Matter of fact, I think for some of us, Maybe as parents and even having older kids, we may need to go to our adult kids or younger kids and actually ask for forgiveness because we've been pushing some subtle aspects of legalism in their lives. See, realize when people don't know Christ, I think when we turn and look out at the world out there, when people don't know it, legalism never impresses them. They're already stuck believing on a scale that if I do enough good things, I earn salvation. That's where they're already stuck. And then we put the weight of legalism on them. It's just blocking their path toward Jesus even more. And we need to stop it for the sake of the world out there. One more application. Really, it's, it's the heart of this whole series. And I said it this way, we need to move toward Jesus and allow him to be above all, to saturate our hearts with Christ. What if we took the energy of creating some of those rules and some of that stuff and we put in it to draw near to God? And James 4 says this, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. See, when we meet Jesus when our bond and our identity in Christ becomes more and more about him, when our affections grow toward Christ, something happens that legalism never will accomplish. It's this. Love grows for God, for other people, but there's also one other thing that grows as well, an awareness of our own depravity. I think we look in the mirror as we move toward Christ and he sees, and can you see the, the depth of your selfishness? We see our sin actually more. See, over and over again, Paul is saying to this church, Jesus is enough. Don't get trapped in that set of rules. Remember what Jesus did. You have been set free, free indeed, like we sang here before we started. Jesus, folks, is above all. And that's what Paul is communicating to them as he pushes back against legalism. But I have to say this. Maybe there's somebody here that you still don't know Jesus. And you're still trying, in one sense, to follow the rules of quote unquote, your idea of Christianity. And I go, don't get trapped. Maybe you'd want to come and talk about it sometime, but what it means to have a personal relationship with Christ. I would love to be able to share that with you. But folks, what if this week was a week of drawing near to God through the sun, through his word, not in a legalistic way, but expecting that God would reveal his heart to us and change us from the inside out. 
that we would love him more. We'd love others more. We'd want to run from our sin as a result of it. Let's stand and pray.